This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. It is Wednesday, September 1st, 2010, and this is episode 40. I am Paul Fox, and joining me as always is my fellow compatriot, Mr. Kevin Ma. Ni hao, everybody. And we are very fortunate this week to have with us once again from the LoveHongKongFilm.com website, Webmaster Kozo, also known sometimes as Ross. Hi. How you guys doing? How's it going, Ross? Uh, you know. <laughs> well, <laughs> this is our 40th episode, and it's a little bit of a celebration because we are one year old. Uh, this is the anniversary show for the podcast. Hard to believe we've been doing this for a year now. Um, but speaking of birthdays, um, Mr. Ma had a birthday here recently, too, I believe. Yeah, um, this past Saturday. Yeah, a little uh, bit older, a little bit wiser? Not wiser, just a little older. Yeah. Well, happy birthday to you, sir. <laughs> Thank we you. We hope you Thank had you. a, a, a good year last year and a better, better year in the coming year. Thank you. Thank you. It well, never gets any better, but thank you. Yeah. <laughs> or, or so they tell me. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> I don't know. It gets better sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Few and far between. But we are not here to talk about birthdays. We are here to talk about lots of other stuff. What do we talk about on this show, Kevin? Uh, movies and uh, movies and then sometimes the iPad. Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes yeah. the iPad. Most of the times movies. We talk about movies from Hong Kong to Hollywood and sometimes some stuff in between. But before we get into our topics this week, let's talk a little bit about some news. So, Kevin, you have two news items for us this week. Um, what do you have for us? Yeah, um, the first piece of news comes from China um, about, actually, about a week and a half ago. Um, the Chinese, the film, the state, the state authority of uh, television and radio pretty much confirmed that China will not have a rating system for its films anytime soon. This is a point of contention because um, some people believe that with a rating system, Chinese films could avoid certain censorship issues or certain things that prohibit artistic freedoms, things like um, uh, violence or, or, or sexuality or, or uh, horror, things like that. But uh, essentially, the, the vice minister of Sarved uh, said that because they learned from other countries that the rating system has not worked in uh, stopping people from watching what they shouldn't be seeing. So they decide that they're not going to Im implement uh, such a system anytime soon. Um, I personally is one of the people who are kind of supporting the rating system. Uh, I think it might help Chinese films, but it won't help with political content, but at least it would help, uh, I guess, open up 
the space for certain, you know, more, more artistic freedom, certain more, more room for, you know, filmmakers to do what they want. Um, so I'm a little disappointed to see this. Uh, what do you think, guys? Do you think China should have, could have used a rating system? Ross, any thoughts? Of course not. It's great the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Of course, you know, a rating system would be cool because, you know, it, it, it's, it is, uh, China has really strange ideas of, you know, what is allowed and what it is not allowed. I mean, you know, there are whole stories about how sometimes it seems like it's just one guy having a bad day and he'll decide that, you know, this film could never play in China because it's, it's unrealistic. People aren't this nice in anywhere but in China. So, <laughs> nice people in a Hollywood film, this is bullshit. Or crap. <laughs> so, this film is, can't pass. This happens, you know. So, I think they're better about it now. Then there's the whole story of, like, you know, uh, Lust Caution passed once and then banned. So, they even, they even have do-overs within their system. It's pretty stupid. You know, rating system would be cool, but, uh, you know, it's just, it's just not to be... It's kind of China is the necessary evil. It's because that's where the money is. China people actually are paying to see movies, and money can be made there. And without China, Hong Kong movies would be really dead. So, well, what about the argument that um, other countries hadn't? Well, for example, America. You know, kids still get to go watch rated R movies. You know, do you think it's true that China is right that other countries hadn't hadn't make this this rating system work as well as they should have? Well, blaming a country for it is kind of bizarre. I mean, I would just blame the parents. Right. You know, if parents are any good, they can find a way to control their kids or at least, you know, teach them properly such that if they do sneak a peek at an R-rated film, they uh, don't become, you know, raving psychos or uh, sex, sex offenders or something like that. Um, you know, blaming a country is just weird. Uh, you know, China has their own way of doing things. Every country is in its own way bizarre. This is just China's idiosyncrasy. And, you know, they hold all the cards. Uh, yeah, of course, I would love a rating system because then maybe I could watch a film where the bad guys win <laughs> or like uh, or someone has real sex <laughs> or something like that. That would be cool. But yeah, but if you want to see that, waiting. you can just watch YouTube. Yeah. Until then, I have YouTube. <laughs> no, but about, about the bad guys winning, that is still kind of a political thing. I think I think even with a rating system, it won't change the ideological censorship that's going on in Chinese cinema. Really? I don't think so. I think it's still like this in Thailand. Like in Thailand, I think a film can still be banned, even though they have a rating system. A film can still be banned based on uh, ideological content. Yeah. Well, then, then what does it matter? Yeah. Why don't we just? Not- <laughs> I guess some people might see it as a progressive step in the wrong direction. You know, um, whereas if if you start initiating a rating system where it gives some guidance to the public, then they'll want to start pushing the boundaries. I mean, it's the same in the U.S. Um, what once passed for, you know, R is now okay in PG-13 kind of a thing. Um, what once used to be, you know, a PG film back in the in the 70s and the 80s would be a G film, G-rated film today. But, you know, the thing that I always thought is if China did have a rating system, the idea would be then you could change, you could do... Uh, and you could present an ideology that was questionable because the idea would be that if I'm an adult and mature enough, I can tell this is wrong. And I'm not going to like decide to go out and kill people and decide that it's okay to do bad things because they do it in the movies. Of course, we know this isn't true because many adults are stupid. But 
you know, I think that's the whole I- that that was the whole idea I received from the idea of the rating system in China, that basically they would, uh, you know, be free to do things that could be viewed as objectionable ideologically, just because they're assuming the audience is mature enough to get right and wrong on their own. Yeah, I'd still be interested to see, you know, sort of a a rating system coming from the little red book. You know, you'd have like MA for Mao approved and <laughs> CR for counter revolutionary. I think I think they could, you know, they could really go to town with it if they had a sense of humor, which I think they need. Well, to that's never going to happen. Develop. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, but yeah. Go ahead, Ross. But I was going to say, if they don't do the, if if they if they aren't going to censor ideology, then, uh, if, yeah, if they're going to keep that censorship going even with the rating system, then what is the rating system for? Just for like extreme violence or nudity? Mm-hmm. I think I think that's the same 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 thing that happened to Thailand. Is that they just they they didn't free up the films from ideological censorship. They only freed it up for content. Uh, for content, that's what so many filmmakers were complaining about in Thailand when the rating system was implemented. So I, 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 don't, I wouldn't be surprised if the same thing happened in China if, if they had a rating system. It's, it, it, the thing is, you know, things kind of loosen sometimes. Actually, you know, Troy Hark, even though people don't agree with him, he's the one who did say that, you know, he doesn't think it's a big deal. They just have to find new ways of dealing with it and new challenges. It's mm-hmm. true. You know, there there are. This can be a challenge to certain filmmakers, and they can find out ways to make a film and still work within the confines of this weird censorship. A good example is like the stuff from Ning Hao. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you watch his films, do you really sit there and like spend all your time going uh, censorship? Right. Well, actually, that's his, know, his uh, new film is in uh, is in censorship limbo. Okay, this I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's okay. why uh, No Man's Land hasn't come out yet because it's stuck in uh, censorship limbo. Ah, so, okay. well, uh, so you see one more fell to or the, or as some might say, no man's land, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, uh, another another kind of counter example of the rain system working is, I think, in Hong Kong because the the one, the category one, category two A, two B, and the category three system doesn't have um except for except for category three, there's no age age limit. So, I I've seen kids going to films like Turning Point or or um maybe even Stool Pigeon, you know, where the content obviously is not for kids and yet because there's no age limit, they can go in as they please. That's just that's just guidance, I guess. Yeah. Well I Other mean categories. And the the Hong Kong system's a bit jacked up too because there there are you know, category three, it doesn't stipulate what is being you know what is what it is that's considered offensive? You could look at a film like um, uh, Chow Yun Fat's uh, Triads: The Inside Story, and that's a Category Three, not because of nudity, not because of violence, simply because they didn't want kids going out and you know doing uh, the the rituals that were being shown, which are based on legitimate rituals people would adopt to gain entry into uh, triad societies. You know, so it, it, I think that the system is maybe not not very specific in Hong Kong. You know, you, you slap a th- category three on, it and you kind of have have to have to guess why there's a category three there for Hong Kong films. Hey, Kevin, you got Sometimes some other news come... for us? Oh, sorry, Ross. Yes. No. Oh. no, 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 don't worry. Okay. So, Kevin, you okay. have some other news for us. Yes, uh, second piece of news, a little sadder. Um, Japanese animated film director Satoshi Kong, um, who directed uh, films like 
Perfect Blue, Millennium Mattress, uh, Car- um, sorry, I, I'm not reading this right. Paprika, yeah, Paprika. Uh, he passed away last week. Um, he's quite well known for, for his films. He hasn't made he hasn't made many films. He's only made about, I think, four films. Um, and he was working on another one um, set on release next year. But, uh, yeah, he passed away last week. Um, I, I've i only seen parts of um, Tokyo Godfather, I think. I, th- I know that Ross is uh, a fan. I know he's probably seen all his films. So, Ross, could you, if you don't mind, would you like to talk a little more about Satoshi Kon? Well, you really set me up the wrong way because I've only seen one. Oh, <laughs> well, you see more than I did. <laughs> uh yeah um i i've only seen perfect blue mm-hmm. uh, i own tokyo godfathers i own millennium actress and i'm borrowing someone's copy of paprika right now and yet i have not watched all, any three all any of them so you know uh, you should not say that i'm a fan i really liked perfect blue mm-hmm. and i really wanted to see paprika but it's just one of those things i never got around to it so uh i yeah, apologize um, satoshi khan some people say Paprika is, is kind of like kind of came before Inception, right? It has uh, about dreams and, and, and crime in, in the dream world and things like that. Um, so I believe many people would say it's quite an quite a original director. Um, there something about Perfect Blue, something about him adding, um, kind of bring a new genre to the animated, the animated film world. Is that, is that right? Or is that, you know? Hmm. Boy, once again, you're setting me up. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to speak like I'm like an anime, uh, an anime uh, expert or anything. I'm not. I remember when I saw Perfect Blue, though, it was uh, on like a, just like a, a fans of VHS. That's the only way I could see it back then. Um, it was like at the time, everyone thought it was like wild and different. It, you know, it came out like in the late 90s, you know. And so, you know, probably people were still reeling over uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion. Um, which is which is doing great things for uh, for like robot anime. Um, Perfect Blue is is you know it it it's it's a psychological thriller. It's 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 great because you know to me at the time it did things that only anime could do, but it was doing them in a genre that was not you know that was what you consider more of a film genre, not an anime genre. Mm-hmm. You get my meaning. So you know um, it it did uh, perhaps it did open things up. You know I just remember at the time I got the tape from someone that was like a huge anime buff and he talked about it being uh, you know revolutionary. Um, but you know again I probably am not the right guy to talk to about it. Yeah, I, I've uh, seen both uh, Tokyo Godfathers and Millennium Actress, and from a technical perspective, I think that they're pretty amazing in, in terms of what they do with. Uh, animation, which is something that, you know, at a time when a lot of studios in the West were moving away from 2D animation, um, you still have Japan trying to push the boundaries with uh, what they're doing. I can't say I'm a a huge fan of his films, though. They tend to get a little bit uh, too in-depth or or a little bit too trippy for me in, in some of the storytelling and some of the characters just the the design doesn't appeal to me as much as uh some of the as Miyazaki films for example um I haven't seen Paprika yet I've heard a lot of good, great things about it I do want to get out to see it eventually uh, apparently that's like the best of the bunch um and interestingly I've I've never seen Perfect Blue but I actually have the live action version of Perfect Blue on DVD somewhere in a stack of unwatched stuff that I've never 
been able to break into as yet. Um, so that's on my to watch list somewhere. But it's really sad that he, you know, because he's young. I mean, he's 46. Um, and he probably had a whole lot of uh, creative work left to do. So it's uh, sad that he had to go out with this way. Yeah, well, um, maybe a run will go on his DVDs. Uh, actually, if there's someone you want to talk to, you want to talk to Shelly about this, to be honest. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, my coworker. She's the, like the a huge... Uh, she's a huge uh, Satoshi fan, so she knows all about him. She's seen all his films. Um, in fact, it's her copy of Paprika I'm sitting on somewhere. So, um, yeah, she's the one who really can talk about him. Um, uh, it makes me want to see his films. And I was more interested in watching Paprika ever since Inception came out. But, uh, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just one of those things. I never really got around to it. Well, now, speaking of animation, you guys know that uh, Inception was a ripoff of a Uncle Scrooge comic, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I've read or heard about that. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that. So, you know, Christopher Nolan, you know, you yeah. beef. You I think he broke into someone's mind to steal that, too. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's been busted or, or by DuckTales. Or an uh, idea has been planted in our head that it was stolen. Yeah, but you know, it just goes to show there really are no original ideas anymore. It's just how you do it. That's all. And Christopher yeah. Nolan does it well. He does it exceptionally well. So, give him credit for that. And by the way, in in uh, in the Scrooge thing, there was not th- there were not three levels. There was no quick kick, no limbo. Yeah, and, and no spinning top. You know, yeah. well, he took a little bit of creative license. Yes. So, you know, he did some good things. it's time to move on to talk about our east screen films for this week uh up first we have the new film stool pigeon starring uh, nick chung and nick zay um kevin you want to tell us a little bit about the plot and some of your thoughts on this yeah sure um stool pigeon uh the actual term uh, in case you've never heard of it because i hadn't before this film is uh, a term that refers to uh, police informants uh people pretty much street thugs, low-level thugs that um, police, um, they, they pay for uh, to, to, to get certain criminals. And that's what, I guess, the, the, the lingo that they've come up with for the film. Um, this is uh, Dante Lamb's kind of follow-up, in a way, to um, The Beast Stalker, in that it, it features the same cast of uh, Nick Chun and Nicholas Say and a um, bunch of uh, EEG people and also Liu Kai-Chi. Um, this is a much kind of a tougher film, uh, and also switches the the Nick the Nick Jern character and Nicholas Say character. One uh, Nick Jern played a criminal last time, and Nicholas Say played a cop. So this time they're switched around with uh, Nick Nicholas Say playing the the criminal and Nick Jern playing the police. Um, the story isn't as as tightly constructed as a uh, Beast Stalker. It's um, 
It's about Nick Chern playing uh, a guy who's in, in charge of these police informants. Um, and for his latest, and, and once upon a time, one of his informants was uh, badly hurt because of a botched uh, arrest. Uh, so he's kind of traumatized from that case. Um, so he's a little more cautious when he, uh, when he is handed his latest case uh, involving a bank robber played by a uh, mainland actor, I think Lu Yi, that's his name. Um, so his latest informant is uh, played by Nicholas Se. He's an um, ex-con just coming out of jail. Um, his sister, because of his father's debt, his sister is sent to prostitution. So that's the kind of, that's what the, the police has on Nick Se that, that forces him to be a police informant to help them capture this bank robber. So the, so the rest of the film is about how um, the Nicholas Se character kind of uh, tears on the edge of not committing a crime but having to be kind of undercover uh, with the criminal organization and Nick Sherm dealing with his conscience and what what he's uh, willing to give up to to solve his case. Um, I think compared to Dante Lam's, this, uh, I think Dante Lam's fourth consecutive uh, police film, I think, uh, after Beastalker, Sniper, Five Conscience, and this. Um, I think this is much better than Five Conscience um, because the actors are much better this time. Uh, with Five Conscience, you have Leon Lai and 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 Richie um, Ren, and you know they're fine, they're okay, you know, except Leon. But the other actors are fine, but they're not strong <laughs> as you know they're not strong as um, you know Nicholas Nicholas Se and Nick Chur. Nick Chur actually won Best Actor for his role in the Stalker, so. That's where the kind of the hype comes from is this pairing again of these these three, and uh, because of the cast, I think that that automatically makes the film much better than uh, Fire of Conscience. However, the the problem is that the the plot also suffers the same problem as Fire of Conscience in that uh, him and his scriptwriter Jack mm, they they put in way too much, way too many characters, too many exposition, too many characters to, to explain, too many side plots that kind of detracts from. The, the really tight construction that um, that the Beast Stalker had. The Beast Stalker had this, you know, it had a one one line to go on, and it and it kept falling on that line. It was very tight. Uh, it didn't really detour much into the side. So, you know, when when but Dante Lam here and, and Scribbler just like Five Conscious, they have way too many characters, way too many things to reveal about the characters. It's too too much, too much details. And it kind of detour, uh, detours the, the the plot too much, and it definitely loses steams uh, loses steam along the way. Um, again, the the idea of this the police informant having a police informant as a main character, because uh, I think in films like One Night Mongkok and um, other other cop films, the, the the police informant tends to be like a junkie, you know, who who's played by a a character actor that you know Lam Street or something. But here you got. Um, you know him. You got the police informant character. You know, um, right in the middle. He is the focus of the film, and um, in in that way, I think it's an interesting idea. But I don't think the the actual execution of the plot kind of carried the idea through, and and uh, you lose the focus. There's not much. Is the plot is way too loose, and there is by the time it gets to the end, you feel like it took a really long long way to get there instead of the straight you know, the straight shortcut. Um, now, Dante Lam, the filmmaking, again, is, is uh, he's got much, I think, you know, I didn't really like Dante Lam back in the late 90s or early, early 
earlier this past decade with films like you know Heat Heat Team or or um, you know Tiramisu. Uh, that's one I don't want to remember. Um, his filmmaking's got a lot of great action though. <laughs> Tiramisu, yes. Isn't that yes, the one yeah, with uh, Karina and the the ghost? Yeah, Karina the, Nick and the, the ghost. ghost. Yeah. Riding horses from hell, coming to claim the soul back or something. Yes, yep. in the castle. <laughs> yes, yes, the castle in the castle in Europe. That's the Dante yeah. I knew. That's the thing, and and you know, so when he started going on this really strong streak of these these cop films, you know, I, I'm quite happy because he kind of got back to you know really gritty filmmaking that he did when he co-directed uh, Beast Cops. Um, so here the, the the action is quite good. Um, the car chase because I remember in the Beast Stalker when he made the Beast Stalker, he was complaining about having to make uh, film car chases in Yuan Long because uh, the police or the budget wouldn't let him or or the the police wouldn't let him, the government wouldn't let him. So so um, I'm quite glad to see that he finally gets to film a car chase in the middle of the city this time. Um, also some good action. The fight in the end, uh, really really rough stuff. Um, there are some points where. There definitely, definitely felt like it was cut to get a 2B to avoid a category 3 because there's some really violent stuff here. And uh, I believe our mutual friend, uh, Tim, he mentioned Dog by Dog as a reference. And I definitely kind of see the I definitely see the parallel with how rough the, the violence is. This. And, um, and I think that's, again, really well, well executed stuff right there. Um, so, I mean, Stool Pigeon is still, you know, it's a better film than Fire of Conscience. I wouldn't say it's better than Beastalker. I don't think it's Dante Lam's strongest film. Um, but it's still a very solid film. I think I'm going to put it on my top 10 list at the end of the year if there's you know nothing better. But um, for now, um, I'll just take what I can get. Ross, any thoughts on this? Well, for me, it's, it's definitely top 10 at this point. Because, you know, a lot of stuff has been really bad this year. Actually, I, I may disagree a little bit with Kevin on some of this. Um, I think it does uh, meander at some point and go a little off, but only when it deals with the Nick uh, Chung backstory. Mm-hmm. Uh, then it kind of like gets a little, goes too far, and it, it becomes you know too much about adding weight to his character when really it's it's not doesn't have that much to do with the whole stool pigeon business. So yeah, I, I think that happens, but you know I think the film is better than that. Um, it's a lot better than Fire of Conscience. I think there really is like some action, some characters through action in this film. Uh, you know, I don't think there are that many characters. They really only concentrate, I think, on the Nick and Nick, and and Luke Chi to a certain degree, but then he disappears for a long period of time. And actually, I did, don't think they gave enough to Gui Lin May, or mm-hmm. Gui Lin May, or Gui, depending on you know who you are. But uh, yeah, I don't think they, because you know, certain things happen to her character. And they don't really tell you that it, they don't really foreshadow it. It doesn't really matter that those things happen, you know? Mm-hmm. Some things happen, you know, I don't want to give away the film. You know, she uh, pulls out a machine gun and kills everyone. But, no, <laughs> she does certain things. And, you know, while it moves the film along, I never felt those things had to happen. You, you forget my meaning. Yeah. Right. In the film. Um, yeah. It's like uh, it didn't really do anything extra for her character. It just was like, oh, here's a new development, and that's it. So, mm-hmm. so as a result, they probably needed to do a little bit more with her somewhere. And it's just something, you know, if, if you know, they were better at it, they could, they could fit it in. But, you know, it's true the acting really carries the movie. Nick Chung is, Nick Chung is, is, is great. Uh, Nick Say is, is pretty good, too. 
Um, and uh, Actually, I, you know, the, I prefer the other way around again. I preferred if Nick Chen played a crook again and, and Nick Say played a cop again this time. I think it fit, really? it fit these two better. I think I so. Know. I think that I think, I think we've seen it nah, I think we've seen enough of Nick Chung in that role. I mean, between Beast Stalker and um, uh, what was the Wong Jing one? Uh, 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 uh Mongkok. Yeah, uh, uh, Escape from Mongkok. Uh, uh, to live and die, die in Mongkok. Yeah, to live and die in Mongkok. Uh, I think that, you know, we've seen enough of him doing that sort of uh, criminal ex-con kind of thing. I really liked seeing him in this uh, as sort of the other side and seeing, you know, pretty boy Nick, you know, here with his head shaved off and, you know, not not quite the superstar idol image that he's usually put upon to play in a lot of his so-called so, so hero roles. Um, I, th I thought he was a lot more down-to-earth here, and I think, I think he pulled it off really well. Uh, I, I just, I don't know, the, I think the film was a little bit too long for me, maybe. Um, but at the same time, I thought there was too much focus on the two of them. I was far more interested in Liu Kai-chi and, and uh, Guilan Mei and, and their backstories. I wanted to see more about them and more about, you know, like uh, the Nick Chung's sister, or no, uh, Nick Tse's sister, and and the, you know, the the motivations for these these characters. Um, I, I wanted to see that developed a little bit more. And I agreed with Tim totally that the end, by the end, I was just like, okay, enough. It just really got degenerate. It was like dog bite dog all over again. Um, and I it's pretty punishing. Yes. Yeah, I I didn't enjoy that aspect of it at all. Um, the, the rest of it, I mean, you know, there's a, there's a heist and it's sort of got this whole, uh, infernal affairs kind of angle, you know, where's the line between good and bad when you're, when you're doing jobs like this, um, that's there, but then you've got a lot of the same, you know, in, in heist films, I, I, ne I would never understand why a group of people who weren't like the best of buddies through, you know, their entire lives why a group of strangers would get together and do a job like this because you just know at some point there's a betrayal coming and I don't want to spoil too much of the film but you've seen this done before in dozens of heist films in the 80s and the 90s um, you know and so at some point you expect this is going to happen and you'd think that people would be a little bit wiser or a little bit you know they, or they wouldn't use this as a plot hook quite as much Um I, I again, I really love the performances. Very solid performances. If nothing else comes along, I could see this being uh, a contender for one of the best films of the year. But you know, as we all know, we've got a Donnie film in two weeks, and it's just going to take every award and every spot available because you just can't compete with the Donnie. So, but especially since he's going to do the diagonal run. <laughs> <laughs> if you've seen the trailer, you know what I'm talking about. He does the yeah. diagonal run. It's like I think he's at like 55, 60 degrees. So it's it's amazing. It's yeah. like only one man can can run at a uh, at a at a extreme angle. Down here. <laughs> no, but, but um, you know, I I like this film a little more than you guys. I think I think I really do. At the same time, I don't know if I would like sit here if I examined it like all the way through it would hold up. Uh, I don't think it, it would hold up that under that much scrutiny. But at the same time, I don't think Beastalker does either. You know, I um, think the Beast Stalker. We look at it, the the it just the the idea and the construction of the plot itself. It's it just 
it doesn't have all the problems that the last two Dante Land films had. It, it like I said, the, the the plot is really tight. It's a very solid. It's a very clear goal of where it's going. But at the same time, it also surprises you, and that's what I liked about how it took a really, you know, a good riveting idea and just and ran with it. But it doesn't. Well, see, but that's but what that's, stupid it doesn't do. Well, that, that's why Beast Stalker is better though than 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 uh, than. Um, than Soul Pigeon. It's just because uh, it doesn't, you know, how Beast Stalker ends is not really, that doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. It's it's more along the lines of what each character does that matters. That's why that film was so much better than this one. This film didn't have that clear cut, you know, what each character does really matters. You still had to find out how it ended. And of course, since this is trying to prove it's going to end a certain way. Um, Beast Stalker, you know, you knew it had to end a certain way too, because even that could play in China, I think. Yeah. But, uh, but it was really exciting about it was how each character reached that point. Mm-hmm. So that that's what why that film was really successful. Whereas, um, um, but I mean, Beast Stalker as successful. Beast Stalker was really a black and white story, right? It was really mm-hmm. a, a good a good versus evil story, and you know, it, it, somewhere inside, you're rooting for the good to win. So if the good does win, that works for China. But here, your your central character is a gray character, and gray characters Actually, both are all gray, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, I mean, pretty much. And gray characters have a very difficult time winning, you know, in China. It it's just we as we were just talking about with the censor issue, it it just can't happen the way it does in the West um, with any type of real sense of satisfaction. Um. And I, I, for me, that's a, that's disappointing because at a certain point, we've talked about this before. You're you're watching a movie, and then you you know it's like the little angel on your shoulder. It's like a little Mao comes up and he starts saying, "You know how this is going to end, right?" <laughs> uh, and it's just I don't know. It it sort of kills the movie for me, um, knowing that that's going to happen. I don't think the 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 China the China approved thing mattered for so much for this movie because uh, I I enjoyed the, the the gray the grayness I guess of of these characters um and I like and I I was intrigued by by the whole the whole the whole uh, setup um again my problem is isn't really the ideological thing is this how how there is too much too much characters or in a way too too much telling you know a lot of people telling you oh I did this you know. Two years ago, my parents did this, and that's why I am like this right now. It just and and it just keeps going like this. Every almost every character, every character has a little monologue about how they became the way they are, and just gets to a point. It's like in Fire of Conscience where you just don't really care anymore. You just want the plot to keep going, and it you know it didn't until until the end. All right, it's time to move on to our second East Screen film for this week, and that is the new Anne Hoy movie. All About Love. Uh, now, this is not to be confused with the uh, earlier Andy Lau film of the same name. The classic Andy Lau film. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Andy Lau's. T- Tears on the Watch, yeah. as I remember. Um, yeah, wow. That yeah. movie was awesome. So, no Andy Lau here. This is a film starring um, Sandra M and a return by a long-missed actress, Vivian Chow. Um, both who play bisexual women, I, I want to say. Um, who end up in relationships off and on again with both uh, men and women. Uh, this film is uh, produced by, interestingly enough, Wong Jing, 
Um, I was surprised to see that he had uh, a credit here. And, but this might be a good thing. Uh, maybe he's going to move more into an executive producer role and get films like this made because I think it was a really good film, uh, especially given the somewhat controversial nature of some of what was being discussed, although in a rather lighthearted way. Basically, it's the story of um, Sandrum's character named Macy uh, bumping into an old flame uh, named Anita, who's the Vivian Chow character, and the two of them start to rekindle their romance. Um, but unfortunately, they find that a recent uh, hookups or one-night stands with uh, gentlemen friends have left them both pregnant, and they are now um, trying to determine what to do with uh, the, their upcoming birth, their upcoming children. Should they keep it? Um, should they have an abortion? What does it mean to raise children... Uh, in a family that doesn't fit the sort of uh, standard idea of a Chinese family or a Western family model. Um, the film has supporting performances by uh, Joe Ku and uh, William Chan and Eddie Chung, all who have very strong performances. I have to say, I'm not a big fan of William Chan, but I really liked his role here. Um, he plays sort of this young love interest um, in sort of a very puppy dog fashion for Vivian Chow's character. Uh, Vivian Chow, I have to say, was amazing. She looks great, uh, especially for having not been around for quite a number of years. Um, she still comes off very well on screen, still very, very, uh, a lot of sex appeal, I'll say. And there's not a, uh, although the film is about sex, there's no real explicit sex that actually occurs here. Everything's done in a sort of um, under-the-table kind of manner with editing, and there's no, there's no nudity at all. And some might look at that and say, well, this is sort of a cop-out as a film about gays and lesbians. Um, it's not really taking a, a very explicit stand, and therefore they might see that as somehow negative. But I, I would disagree with that. I think that this is a um, very entertaining. Um, it does have some politics, and there, there are some political issues that are brought up at various points. The, the biggest problem I had was uh, towards the end, there's this whole plot device with the Anita character being discriminated against at work um, for being an unwed mother, and the, there's this whole protest. And I kind of found that um, was kind of forcing the issue. I didn't think it was entirely believable, although I'm sure there, there are issues in real life uh, where that has happened. Um, the film has a very interesting style. It's mostly shot around the Soho district area in Hong Kong Island, um, near near Red Soho, and uh, it kind of comes across as you you know you could have called this film "Sex Among the Wealthy" because when the people are not having sex, they're sitting around talking about having sex, having fancy expensive dinners, or going out and shopping in the high end shops. Um, nobody really. Everybody has a good job, doctor, lawyer, um, things like or a banker, things like this, but they never really seem to spend a whole lot of time working. Um, rather, they spend a lot of time, <laughs> you know, being upper middle class instead. Uh, there's some really nice... I know a lot of people like this. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was one of those people. Um, <laughs> there are some really nice hand-drawn images that are used to sort of tell a backstory of one of the characters, which I think um, works really well. I would have liked to seen a little bit more of that. The biggest problem, I think, with the film was the ending. It, it 
it has an ending that just kind of uh, it just kind of meanders. It doesn't really achieve a solid conclusion. Um, it is somewhat of a feel-good ending. I've seen some films that have uh, taken this style of an ending before, but there's no. It, it seems to like really lack a sense of punctuation, and I'm wondering if that is done on purpose to try and give a sense that you know this whole issue about identity and sexuality and family is still very an much an open issue or if it was simply the fact that they didn't know how to end the film um now kevin you haven't seen this film yet ross have you had a chance to see it yeah i saw it a couple weeks back yeah what are your thoughts um, on it um you know i it i liked it for a lot of reasons and then there are some reasons it's not that i didn't like it but i think it, it's really flawed actually i thought the politics in it were extremely overwhelming yeah you know everyone gets together and they discuss political issues and i, I think far too many characters are just mouthpieces you know, and there there'd be scenes where one character who's like the side characters, the supporting characters, would show up to talk about their friends who are the main characters, and then they just sit there and discuss political issues and their friends and give all the exposition. It was just like you know everyone really had to say this this thing. Yeah. And it, I thought it really overwhelmed the main characters too much. The the whole thing, um, that that whole subplot involving a Vivian Chow, how she's put upon for being a single mother and in the workplace, and they they really discriminate against her. Actually, I thought it'd been really cool if they had showed us that happening. Yeah, but instead, everything you find out about later, she's just complaining. I hate my boss, and something bad is happening. And then the next thing you know, there's a protest. Yeah, and everyone's talking about the issue. And but there's you don't really get to see it happening to her. Yeah, there I was, don't know. This is actually in the script. Yeah, there was it's an not, issue with the um, uh, Eddie Chung character Robert, where he he's apparently a wife beater, and Sandrum is called upon to take up his case as a lawyer, and you you get this this description of him early on but then throughout the whole rest of the film he's like this super nice guy and i had a really hard time buying into the fact that he was supposed to be this wife beater guy you know it's just it, but, you know, it what he never played that. what he played just did not match with who he was supposed to be um and it was it was kind of like everybody was a little bit too sweet in the film maybe because they didn't want to offend anybody or um, they were just trying to paint a very rosy picture. I'm not sure. Well, in this movie, apparently, you know, life is is lived when you're uh, just having conversations. Yeah. Because a lot of the, the a lot of the stuff that you know you wanted to know about, you just didn't see. Um, I, I really I really liked the characters. Um, I did. But yes, I do agree that maybe this, they're a little too nice. The conflicts seem to be resolved rather easily. People just start, suddenly get on the same page and are very happy with each other and willing to work it out. And there was a whole big thing in there about Sandra, uh, Sandra Ng's character, how she um, she doesn't really want to commit, maybe. Yeah. She does and she doesn't. We're not sure. She's more free-spirited than Vivian Chow's character and less willing to settle. Yeah. And, um, and you know, I felt that really came out of nowhere in a way. I could see it just because of how Sandra played the role, but I just, it just felt like people, it just came up because someone mentioned it. Yeah. You know? The thing that took me off guard was the whole Joku, I'm your breast doctor scene. It was just like, <laughs> what is that about? I mean, are they, you know, they've got this poor girl there trying to do a, you know, a, a mammogram, and it's like, why, why are they, why are they showing me this? Are they commenting but that, you know, you know women have women are, are have a very hard time having mammograms if they have small breasts? I mean, it, it just didn't know, seem didn't to have in the context. I didn't know there was a problem with mammogram then, I'm sorry. 
Well, no, no she was know, the doctor. She had, no, they had this great. girl. They had this girl who had like no breasts, trying to give a mammogram, and Joe Koo's like sitting there yelling at her. No, you've got to do it. You know, you know, stand here and <laughs> squeeze them harder. Yeah, push them. <laughs> Pretty much, that's what happened. I'm not. I'm not being. You know, that's what happened. I'm not just trying to be salacious. Yeah. <laughs> but, but but seriously, um, a lot of this film was educational. Yeah. Um, it, it's written by Yi Shen Yang, who wrote. Uh, Truman for Sale and uh, Whispers and Moans, two yeah. other films that are exceptionally, uh, you know, uh, preachy. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, actually, I thought those were a little more successful in the way, in the sense that you can get away with it in those films because those are really ensemble pieces, slices of life, you know? Yeah. So having each slice of life defined by uh, politics or a piece of this issue makes sense. You don't have to get into the complexities of the relationships. It's it's all about you know just like the beginning and the and, you know, the, the situation only. Yeah. But yeah. in this film, it's really the two. There's two main characters, so to throw in all the politics just really overwhelmed the film. I thought. Yeah. Um, it's but, still entertaining. It was a bit too. Uh, I really like. It was entertaining, but I just felt it was like such a small click. You know, it was like all of these characters live in this certain. You know, they have a certain level of income. They live in this certain area. You know, they're all wealthy. It's like friends. Yeah, exactly. It's like friends. It's, it's exactly like friends. It's like it doesn't it doesn't really focus on issues of, you know, uh, being homosexual in any other context. It's like, what if you're, you know, what if you're really poor and and have this issue? How do you you know how are you treated? How do you deal with it? it it's like all th this world just involved this small group of 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 people. Who all lived in the same circles, and it was—I don't know—I think it could have been a bit broader in scope for me. Yeah. I think I think um, the whole the whole mid the whole uh, middle class thing makes it, I guess, the whole idea easier to swallow for, I guess, certain target audience. I guess they might target a, a more middle class audience to this film, and that was kind of the best the best way to attract an audience. Yeah. And that they had well, to it's see definitely kind of, it, like Russ. Tell. I agree with Russ. It's it's preachy, and it's preaching to people who probably do this very same thing you know they they sit in lounge bars or they sit at the local starbucks and they talk about these very political issues and their views on them and it's sort of speaking that same language and i think it's doing so to speak to those people rather than people who are outside of those intellectual circles if you will yeah i still think it's a worthwhile film to see i think Anne hoy does a really good job with uh with presenting the characters um you know and, and and developing some of them but you know i really think too much happens in dialogue uh you know it, it's enjoyable in in a way that like uh, a lot of the 90s ufo films were enjoyable you could say that <laughs> yeah. okay but you know th those films were really preachy yeah you know but you know they were really sophisticated and well done and those films really were all about people who like hung around at Wang Kui Fong. yeah um but you know we, we liked those uh, and, and you know, I like this, but uh, yeah, um, it has its flaws. It's not perfect. You're listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit Concast.com for more. So, you want to talk a little bit about Curse of the Deserted? <laughs> uh, Is there how much time you got? <laughs> <laughs> Not that much. <laughs> uh, you, you can, you, I can do it in three minutes. Okay. Or less. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Curse of the Deserted is a horror film from director Lachi Long. Uh, he made Coma, um, 
uh, Inner Senses, and uh, of course his masterstroke, uh, the Bug Me Not. But um, it's uh, it's basically it's it's a China film more than a Hong Kong one, though it has Hong Kong money. Uh, it's based on a novel by the same guy who gave us uh, Naraka Nineteen. Um, it's it's a story about like Sean Yu. He's a uh, he's a writer. He writes a, a book about uh, a place called the Village. It, it's not you know M Night whatever. It's not his village. It's just like this remote mansion in China. It's the village like, next door, uh, right? <laughs> something like that. There's like a, a, a girl or a woman named Rouge who like was burned alive because she was upset about you know some love thing. Uh, I'm not going too far into it because I've forgotten many details, which tells you a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, she, she she was upset, so she died in a fire, and uh, and as a result, she's cursed anyone who goes in there, or something like that. And you know, he wrote about this, and it made him like a minor celebrity. And so that we meet four kids, uh, you know, two 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 couples, uh, college kids who were all like, uh, you know, who want to chase the mystery of Rouge and, and go to the the and you know, go to the uh, the village, you know, which of course you know is the stupidest thing that anyone should ever do, but they do it. And they want to, and Sean Yu's like, hey, don't go, I'm warning you. And they're like, yeah, screw him. And then they go. <laughs> so then, you know, it cuts between them there, where they just basically scare each other and eventually run afoul of something. We don't know what. And um, Sean Yu is sitting in his home and getting bothered on MSN by someone claiming to be rude, saying, you shouldn't have told my story. Um, great movie. Anyway, <laughs> then people start dying, which is awesome. <laughs> because you really want some of them to die. But... You, you know, the idea is that there's a curse going around because, you know, it's about true love. And, you know, if you don't love each other, then, you know, Rouge is going to curse you. And so, uh, you know, the four kids come back and they start getting offed one by one by, you know, they, they go all mental and, and have accidents and start bleeding. And, you know, so how are they going to solve this? Sean Yu says, I'm going to go there, too. So what do you think happens to him? Of course, he gets struck by the curse. Duh. So <laughs> you, you, you can tell. Um, I wrote a review on it. And, and I say, yes, if there were smart people in horror films, they would be only half an hour long. Um <laughs> This film is really like that. So uh, you wish you, people. You, you said this is a sort of a made-for-China film. That means it's got to be like a all a dream, right? Okay, let me explain this to you. Um, they kind of give it. They kind of twist it a number of ways to make it perfect for China. One way is you know halfway through when people are getting all freaked out, uh, Sean Yu's friend appears and says, you know, let, let me tell you that these, uh, that really there's just like an electromagnetic. Uh, um, explanation for all of this, <laughs> you know, because you know they're in a place of all this great electromagnetism, and they freak each other out. They they, they end up giving each other, and uh, that's affecting them and maybe messing with them. But yes, there's still supposed to be a curse too, because people keep talking about, oh, she's coming to curse us. But I'm like, isn't this an electromagnetic thing? And, and frankly, I'm not that scared by a electromagnetic disease, <laughs> you know. So. You know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of fake scares, but you know nothing really scary happens. Um, you know, you're not gonna get freaked out by electromagnetic disease. Yeah, I'm gonna be scared of my speakers. Ninety percent of the time, when you have, when you jump, it's just because oh no, that guy he appears. You know, that's scary. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not a very good film. You know, it has some good ideas. And you know, uh, Kitty Zhang as the Sean Yu's love interest is is, is okay. Um, I like her a lot, actually. And uh, Sean Yu is, you know, serviceable. He's Sean Yu. Um, the, the, the four kids are somewhat annoying, though. But it, it's just, it, you know, it, it's okay ride for, like, people who are bored, like teenagers who kind of don't really have that much to do and are, like, wanting to watch a film like this. And you can guess it's going to be scary at times, but, you know, it, it doesn't really lead anywhere. Nothing... 
you know, the, the thing about horror films, and I'm very biased in this way about my horror films that I like, is that, you know, I think the th- what's really scary is when they freak you out in a way such that you can imagine this happening to you, you know? Yeah. It's like the whole thing in the eye with the elevator. Yeah, that, that's scary, because if you're in an elevator, it's going so damn slow, <laughs> you know, and, and you don't know what the hell's happening, or it stops, you know, and you just imagine something can be right behind you. That, that, that could freak the sh- crap out of anyone, right? Yeah. And of course, you know that film actually has ghosts. They're not. They didn't turn out to be electromagnetic electromagnetic waves, or like, uh, you know, the uh, written by some person somewhere else. So, you know, that that was the, that can be scary. It shows you something that could freak you out. But this film kind of doesn't. You know, nothing in it really seems freaky or like you know, it's it's something that you could imagine really scaring you in real life. Because in real life, it's like, guess what? I would never be there. <laughs> I'm not going to go chase this mansion. Um, yeah, it's that, that's how I felt about it. So, you know, it's okay ride maybe for some people. You know, Lachi Long is really good at creating tension, but you know, the scripture doesn't really support it. And it does a number of things to make it China safe. Mm. I just described one thing to you the whole electromagnetic waves thing. It does at least one or two other things. And, you know, eventually it does something that's just so cliched. You're just like, uh, what the hell? Um, so, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't think it was very good. Yeah. So, is this going to. Uh, Nominate Sean Yu for the uh, killing no. killing the career award. No, no, not at all. No, this is a film where you know I wouldn't nominate anyone in it for any like negative award, like like career suicide or worst film or it's just it's just you know it's so it's just it's just it doesn't really aspire to anything more than what it is anyway. It's it's really just one for hire. It doesn't like pretend to be pretentious. Even the romance angle. Is not played so strongly that you just want to slap someone because you're like it's not working. Mm. Um, that that would be a city under siege. <laughs> yeah. um, that, that's the well, that's a special movie. Too far, too hilarious height. Huh? It's a special movie. So, so that that is a very special film. This is not a special film at all. Curse the deserted. <laughs> uh, it's forgettable, and um, you know, frankly, uh, it, it's leaving theaters today. So you're all gonna miss it. Mm. It's been deserted. <laughs> oh. yeah. It's a curse of the deserted cinema. Hmm. So right. yeah, um, this this one is, is just, just you know it's forgotten. It's gonna it's gonna be you're, you're not gonna remember it, and you know everyone's gonna forget that Sean, you and Kitty Zhang appeared in it together. So go out tomorrow and buy it on Blu-ray. Um, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so right. yeah. yeah, so yeah. So, sorry, that's that's my uh, that's my take on it. You guys are not going to talk about anything special like the one-year anniversary, like what that means to you or how your life has changed because of this podcast. And well, It's not a wedding anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, you know, it's, everything can be commemorated. You know, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's been, it's, it's, it's been emotional. Yeah. Um, Hasn't it made you more popular, like, you know, out there in like the, the, the internets, the interwebs, don't they I've love you more? Or- gotten a lot, mo- lot more spam from Russia. Than I ever would have, yeah. Um, so I've met my Russian spam quota for my lifetime. Well, you know, one thing I like to say about the podcast, though, um, you know, one thing that I think it's really good about it is, you know, clearly uh, you guys are still doing it because just because you you want to, you like movies, you want to talk about them, you feel you have something you can share, and you know, in some ways, I, I think that portion of the internet community when it comes to films. 
is not as strong as it used to be. Yeah. People who are in it just because of the love, basically. You know, nowadays it's it's there. There's more to it. There's uh, well, I, reputations. Yeah, uh, there's... You know, goodies, um, bragging rights, press passes. Um, yeah, you know, access, whatever. There's, I mean, there's, if there's a whole lot of drugs. Huh? <laughs> I mean, for yeah, no, that, that, that's later. That's gonna be in five years. Oh. In five years, it's gonna be like you know, webmaster arrested. For, uh, <laughs> yeah, with his uh, Donnie Yendall. <laughs> uh, I'm so far behind. This. Yeah. Well, I no, mean, but, you've but you've then, you've you've kind of been through all of that with your own site. I mean, you recently had a hiatus and took some time yeah. off just because you, as you had said before, you needed a break. Um, so, you know, I think that I, I'm, I'm happy doing this. I have a good time. I think, you know, I hope that Kevin has a good time. Um, you know, I've told yeah. him, I don't want him to feel like he's under any pressure or obligation. If at a point in the future, he decides, you know, he's had enough or he's too busy with other stuff and other writing, you know, that's, you know, all good things come to an end. Um, but as long as he's willing and, you know, we have a movie group and we go out and watch stuff and we have stuff to talk about, especially great stuff like, you know, City of uh, Siege or City of Fat Aaron City or City whatever City. you want to call it. Um, you know, I think it's, it's... The greatest film of the year. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I enjoy I enjoy doing it. I've learned a lot in the past year uh, from the technical aspect, so I always like doing stuff that I learn about i think there's a lot of stuff you know uh, that i could do better uh that i hope to do better and make more interesting and hopefully you know we've hit a couple listeners out there and made them more interested in some of the stuff that we've talked about and because ultimately you know that's what i that was my goal if i ever had a goal back when i started the my you know original website was just to tell people hey this is stuff that i like and maybe you might like it too um, or maybe you might, you know, get a laugh out of it or whatever. Um, and who knows how long something like that can stay up. But I, I do agree with you that there's a lot more focus these days on, you know, doing a startup site, trying to turn a quick buck, you know, sell it for a million dollars to a Google or somebody else or the Huffington Post or whoever, and, you know, then just be done with it. Um, that That's never really appealed to me. I mean... I I think that Kevin probably has, you know, his own ideas about what he wants and what he wants to get out of it and um yeah, I don't know. You're you're starting to get, to get some notoriety yourself from your own site, right? Who, Kevin? No, you, Ross. Oh, uh, <laughs> I don't have a site. I, I just I just I leech on to other people's site. It seems like But actually, you have to realize that's what everyone does nowadays. Leech on to everyone else's site. So you know yeah. you're not doing it's, anything. It's all, it's all about locking down the RSS feed from somewhere. Yeah, and ultimately, if you're really onto my there's site, actually I only one website out there that everybody else is leeching off of, right? Which one? I don't know. It's like the the, the ultimate site. We're all leeching off of Google. Let's face it. Yeah. It's, Google is God. We're all just their subjects. But you, you know, I was going to say that. Uh, um, yeah, uh, if if you you really are leeching off of my site, you're leeching off the wrong site. <laughs> <laughs> it's not much to leech off of there, you know. It's, it's yeah, you know, you could you kind of kind of you could kind of say that uh, being a film geek 
and internet uh, film fandom or uh, you know pop culture fandom has kind of become commercialized or a career for some people. Some people have turned it into a career. I think you can see that. Yeah, that is it's kind of bizarre in a way. You know, um, it's it, it is strange to me. Yeah, because you know, you know, there was a time where I, I thought everything I wrote made me totally unprofessional, and you know, I'm just like a you know a fan writer, and you know, I, I don't do it with any sense of professionalism. I just do it because I could screw around and have fun, and you know, I, I take it seriously in how I write it. And at least I want to say serious things, but you know, at the same time, I just have fun. Um, I, I always thought that yeah, that's you know, no matter what, anyone who has a, a press credential or is like published is automatically better than me and can write better than me. I don't really believe that anymore. Yeah, you know, I think actually there are a lot of people who um, get into it professionally who actually really have not had the right training and the right uh, uh, the right ethics. Um, they don't learn. I didn't know those things either, but I picked them up as I went, and I you know I really made sure not to make those mistakes. But I think a lot of people now who do it they make those mistakes and they they do it without thinking about it because they're not school. They don't go to journalism school and they just use their fandom as a way to make a career out of it. And it's just it's you know if you can do it, I guess it's great, but it's a bit bizarre, you know. I, I it's, I, I think it's strange, you know. I, I guess I'm I'm old school or something. I still believe that if we're doing this for free, we're doing this for fun. Yeah, that's so, it. You know, as after how many years, you know, of of doing your site, you finally got to go to a premiere and sit with Leon. No, I didn't sit with Leon. He sat very far away from me. <laughs> and, and 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 that's because that's or, because of your restraining order, right? Yes, and both Janice has ignored me. I just want to say that right now. You know, just wouldn't talk to me. I did like stand three feet away from uh, Sue Yum Yum, and she said hi to me. So, yeah. all that, that, that was the hype. Yeah, but you know, it's okay. Premieres, but it's a thing. You know, a lot of people also they're in it for those connections. They in it to be close to the stars, close to the action. If you can feel like someone, if you know like an actress or an actor or director, right? Yeah. The, it's not really appealed to me. I mean, I know directors now and uh, occasionally some actors and stuff, but it's 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 kind of fun. But you know, it's, it doesn't change my life. Yeah. You know, but, you know, honestly, I actually like paying for movies. I actually like paying for movies. Yeah, I, I really think it makes sense. You know, at least you know I feel like I've given something. Um, I read this film review not too long ago by someone talking about how this movie was so bad and boring that the person next to them was playing was using their iPad. You know, showing that, you know, obviously the film wasn't that good. But something, the thing that bothered me about the review was I just really wanted to say, but you're at a press screening. And actually, I know the person who's using the iPad because, you know, I know who that person is. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, um, yeah, you're at a press screening. So, mm -hmm. you know, you didn't pay anything to get in that movie. Yeah. Um, you know, you're there because it's part of your job and, you know, you're seeing it for free. Yeah, and uh, you know you don't like it, you like it. That's great, and you well, can write about I it. I assume that good. they're using their iPad. They're writing notes about the film. I mean, that's what I do when I'm watching films. I was watching All About Love. I had my phone out and I was sitting there jotting notes. And I'm assuming that people who would have seen me would have thought, "Oh, he's just you know SMSing or he's you know uh, doing Twitter with his friends or something." But I was sitting there. I was you know making notes and things that I would talk about. Um, I would. You know, I, would I, mean, I, I don't think film, film viewers or film professionals are even that professional anymore um, with these note taking. Um, I, I think. Well, yeah, perhaps with the 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 way that moviegoers behave today, I guess when everyone take out a, a device, you know, with that 
gives off light they think oh they're smsing because the movie is so boring or they're doing this because the movie is so boring but back to what what ross was saying yeah um i think that sometimes movie critics there is a divide between you know movie critics and regular audiences um they they don't realize that they're privileged they don't realize the audience they're watching it with and when they when they integrate that part and they would fail to integrate that in their, in their reviews and write it like they're watching some kind of regular audience. Uh, I think it kind of is a, is a, uh, it doesn't do justice to the film or it doesn't really do its job to to the audience that's supposed to be reading it. Yeah. Although, you know, they're, they're there. But, you know, there are many ways you can discuss this because, you know, even we aren't the regular audience. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we feel we got something out of it just because we can have a good laugh. But you know, other people know they won't feel that, and some people just go for the for the smallest reasons. They go because they like the actor, they think it's gonna suck, or you know, they watch it at home because you know they they have to watch something while they're eating dinner. Oh, tonight we'll watch, you know, my 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 uh, my wife is a gambling maestro, while eating, Jade and, and that's Pearl. their plan. Yeah, and this is was, was what they're gonna do. It's movies are different things to different people. Um, they're commodities to some people. They're treasure to others. They're uh, they're yeah, they're um, just you know a junky way to pass the time to other people. It's just so. So what have I really learned? Not much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, bring it back. I guess bring it back to the to this whole one year thing. Um, and I I I I'm thankful for you know well first Ross for letting me write about movies. I guess that long time ago, long long time ago. And then you know, yeah. Paul, you know, letting me come on and talk about because you know this is all this is all Paul's work, you know, from the no no no, no 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 I just ha- I just am doing the technical side. Well, no, and you got remember the- I gave you a job too. Oh yes, <laughs> I also gave you a regular job. You have to remember that he made you legitimate. <laughs> huh? Well, if you're gonna fight over who, uh, okay. Well, no, I mean. Fun- well, you know, Ross will, will forever, you know, he, he'll be my benefactor, I suppose. The, 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 my, I guess, the guy who got me to start or whatever I'm doing right now. And, you know, I'm, of course, I'm also thankful for Paul because he gave me this, this outlet to, to talk about movies. And all I have to do is, is you know, come home on time one, every once a week and get on a computer. You know, that's, you know, and you do a lot of the work. And um, for, for me, you know, watching movies is, is just, you know, Something one writing reviews, something that I, I've worked on my English, work on my writing. Uh, it's something I enjoy doing because I enjoy film so much and I enjoy sharing my view. And this whole talking thing, you know, allows me to work. I guess work on my public speaking and also, you know, really channel and, and get into a discussion with other people. You know, instead of uh, uh, just writing out something on my own. So yeah, there's something really special to me, and yeah, I would like to go on as long as I, as long as we can do it. Uh, yeah, and I again, I'm really thankful to you know both you and Paul, you both Ross and Paul for yeah, yeah. But you know, the, but you know, this 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 is your guys' podcast. I'm just a guest, so so please treat it that way. Well, no, but because I didn't, I wouldn't be able to come on here to do what I do if not for you know the couple of years I've been writing reviews. So, you know, in a way, I'm both, I have to take this occasion to thank, you know, both, both of you guys. Well, you know me, I'm all about helping people. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I think we got to wrap it up there. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, we will be uh, back again next week for episode 41. But until then, you can follow along with all, all of us. Um, you can follow Kevin 
at his uh, various blogs and uh, his various writings. But for primarily, you can follow him on Twitter at the uh, at the Golden Rock. And where else can they find you, Kevin? Uh, you can read my weekly reviews on um, Yellow Page or YP Movies at uh, www.ypmovies.com.hk. I don't have a review this week, but um, with five movies coming out next week and I think four thereafter, so I think there'll be plenty of um, you hear from me. Uh, plenty. Um, I also, uh, I suppose, have a blog on um, that that the guy was playing with the It Man figures, his website. Uh, lovehkfilm.com I run a well I supposed to run a blog there um, I will next review the 3D Chrissy Chow uh, Blu-ray so you gotta look forward to that um, and you're gonna review Frozen. Frozen oh yes I will also review Frozen yes on, on that guy's site uh, and also yes, right <laughs> I also write on the Yumcha section in uh, yesasia.com I show up sometimes as Rockman and uh, there's also plenty of other anonymous product descriptions uh, by me on the website as well. Awesome. And as always, you can find uh, this show and the show notes over at Kongcast.com. And if you'd like to keep up with the webmaster, also known as Kozo, you can find his work and his writing, as always, at lovehkfilm.com. And he's recently put up a review for City Under Siege, which is a very interesting take on that film. Um, any upcoming reviews that'll be put up over the coming weekend, Ross? Coming weekend? Yeah. Um, well, probably within a week or so, I'll put up uh, Still Pigeon and Curse of the Deserted and uh, and uh, All About Love. Two are done. I just haven't finished editing them, and you know, I'm really slow now. I, I take my time. I don't feel the need to uh, to uh, beat other websites to the punch because you know I know I can't. So what's the point? Um, but yeah, uh, those three will, should be up, and hopefully Kevin will have frozen up soon. And uh, we got yeah, a lot more being the, the super Leon fan that I am, of course I have it done. Yes. All right. Well, we can look forward to those other reviews coming up in the week to come. Uh, next week we'll be talking about looks like the Kenneth B film Girls and the John Cusack Chow Yun Fat film Shanghai. And so all that be in episode forty-one or what some people might call our season two. And that'll be next week. So until next time, as always, we will wish you good viewing and we will see you then. See you next time, everybody. I'll see ya. And I mean, it's coming from a group that's called SARFT, you know, which is an anagram for, for farts. So. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're not going to use that. <laughs> How much authority do you want to give this group, right? I mean, uh. um, yeah, I, I can't review Frozen because uh, I was asked not to or suggested that I don't. No, actually, not to. but um, uh, no, I, I actually personally know the directors. So the director and his friend who kind of helps him on it, and it's one of those things where you know you just you feel you're too close to a movie just. You know, the reason I went to the premiere was I, I got tickets from the director for God's sakes, yeah. essentially. So, so there's no really no point in yeah. You know, I, I can I can sit this one out. But uh, it, just just you know, just as a side thing, I, I do want to say that this entire time we've had this podcast, you know, I've been playing with my new Donnie and Ip Man action figure from Inner Bay, <laughs> and his head just came off. <laughs> but while you guys are talking, sacrilege! Like, how dare you deface just, the head of Donnie? <laughs>
head the wrong way, and his head just came off. So right now, I'm holding Donnie Yen's head in my hands. Squish it. <laughs> Squish it. China hates you. China hates you. <laughs> no, obviously, there's a lesson, you know, for you to have to pay attention when you do a proper podcast to not play with a toy. I, I challenge you to bring that when we have movie night for Legend of the Fist. You know, they're making a Legend of the Fist one, but I chose it, man, because actually I like it, man, a lot more than Shenzhen. And, you know, and no matter what, I'd be really disappointed when I tried to get my action figure to do, to do the nine at D diagonal run. Yeah. <laughs> and it wouldn't work. You got to get some fishing yeah. wire. <laughs> he should be like your new Anup man, you know, where you just take him on trips, take him to Udine, you know. I can bring his head. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Donnie's head can be everywhere, just not his body. <laughs> you I know, we watch Legend you know. of you know, when we watch Legend of Fist, we got to take a group photo with the Donnie figure. Yeah. Uh, That's a you, know, you know, this thing actually costs a lot of money. So, you know, <laughs> drag it everywhere. It's kind of scary. But, you know, honestly, if I do end up going to Udine next year, I will bring the Donnie in figure because it will really make a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> so he'll be there. And uh, I'll take as many pictures of him with burly white people as, as I can. <laughs> because, you know, Donnie and burly white people, they, they, they go together. Yeah. <laughs>